Everybody, Glenn, alcoholic. Glenn. Certainly grateful to be clean and sober. And, uh, I thank Pat and, and Dan for asking me to come out and do steps four and five. Uh, also, like to recognize there are, you know, there's some old timers here that was talked about earlier. You know, guys that had 20, 25 years when I come in in my 20s. And uh, Craig, Randall, Don R, Ted Summers, and John B. And uh, those are the guys that, uh, you guys that are in your early 20s, they had 20, 25 years when, when I come in. They were the hot shots. <laughs> I've been to Don R's ranch when he had the uh, picnics out there on uh, Saturday when he had the, the meetings. I think it's, uh, you know, and I've known Ted since my, before I could get sober. I tell you, the first time I met Ted, I, uh, I couldn't, couldn't get sober. And one time I got 28 days. And my sponsor, I, I mean, I felt so bad because I was really working the program that time. <laughs> most of the time I couldn't get more than 12. 28 days was freaking huge. And I lost it. And I was so freaking upset with myself. And so my sponsor said, you need to get up and tell the people at the meeting how you feel. How it felt to lose your 28 days. It was a Saturday Night Live at the Raptors at that time. It was one of the biggest meetings. And I got up there and I wept. And I felt so bad, and I cried, and I told you how much it hurt to lose that 28 days. And they called Ted up right behind me. <laughs> and Ted said, the newcomer has arrived. <laughs> and that's the way we come in, man. And, uh, you know, and those guys... Uh, have given, you know, then there's some young guys here. There's uh, some guys in their 20s. It's a big movement now. There's a lot of young guys in their 20s. And I tell you what, we learn, we can learn from everybody. You know, those are those who teach us what to do, and there's those who teach us what not to do. And you young guys, this comes to my first story. It's about an old-timer and, and, and a newcomer. I, he might even have been Ted. <laughs> you see this newcomer they, these, both these guys were going to the meeting they were, run, they were going up the rafters and, and, and the newcomer run up by, past the old timer he tripped and fell he skinned his knee, he ripped his pants he got to the bottom and said god damn son of a bitch and the old timer Ted said hey son we don't, we don't talk like that up here we don't, we don't say those things what we say is thank you god what we say is this is an opportunity to grow. Huh? Bless you, son. <laughs> and the old timer walked up. And the next week, about the same thing, the same two guys, the new newcomer comes running up the stairs, trips, falls, skins his knees, rips his pants, and the old guy looks at him, and the new guy doesn't see him, and the new guy says, Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, God. And his knee healed, and his pants got sewn up, and he got up and he walked up the stairs. And the old timer Ted said, God damn, son of a bitch. <laughs> it works! <laughs> we just, we say shit off the cuff. We don't really know if it's going to work. <laughs> You new guys are teaching us. <laughs> but I'll tell you, new guys, I've told this story before, but the benefit of you young guys, I'd tell you, I'd tell you that rooster story, the farmer, <laughs> for you young guys. You see, this farmer had an old rooster, and he was getting old, and he had done a good job for a long time. And he decided it was time to get himself a, a young rooster in there, and so he got himself this, this young rooster, and 
as soon as that young rooster got in, kind of like you new guys got in there, started freaking hoarding all the chickens, bull guarding them and shit. You know? <laughs> the old timer seen that and coming to hey, you know, trying to introduce himself to the young guy and he, he shoved he shoved the old timer off. What do you know? I mean, what do you, what, what does the old guy know? But put the plug in the jug. What do you know? You know, and the next day, same thing. The, the old timer comes out there, and the, the young young roosters bogarting all the chickens again. So the old guy came up and said, "Look, son, I I know what you're here for. I I know I'm getting old. I know I'm. You're here to take over. But why don't you give me the dignity that I deserve to be able to maybe leave with my head held up high? I've been doing this a long time." And the young guy said, well, "What do you got in mind?" He says, I'll tell you what, why don't you go on that side of the corner? I'll go on that side of the corner. We'll just we'll punch it out. And you'll probably kick my ass. But at least I can leave here with my head held up high. And so the new guy, the new rooster says, okay. One goes in one corner, one goes there. They start freaking punching out. And the young rooster starts whooping his ass. He's pecking his ass. He's whooping his ass. The farmer hears this noise. He looks out the curtain. Oh, my God, he grabs his gun. Bam! Blows that young rooster away. <laughs> His wife goes, what the heck's going on? He goes, man, you won't believe it. That's the fourth queer rooster we've had this month. <laughs> you got to watch out for them old timers, man. You got to be So I'm here to talk about, you know, and this, this thing is about laughter, it's about taking it easy, it's about not taking it so serious, and the, the you know, steps four and five, and to me as I look at it, really it's, a, and it's in the chapter how it works, and the best part, if you're new, in steps four and five, is it's assuming that you've taken the third step, the third step's assuming that you've read the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, we read this at every meeting. And every meeting we read, the A, B's, and C's. If you don't know it, those were the first three things that Bill wrote when he decided he was going to write a book. A, that we're alcoholic and couldn't manage our own lives. B, that no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. C, God couldn't would if he was sought. Right? And what it, what it says now is being convinced we're at step three. What it says in the original manuscript that Bill wrote was, if you are not convinced of these three vital issues, we suggest you reread the book to this point or throw it away. <laughs> the point I like about that is it's assuming you guys have read it to this point and come to the conclusion that I'm alcoholic, that I have a terminal illness, that there's no cure for, but there's treatment, right? And that no human power, no will, no Glenn's will. Now, i got to tell the story. <laughs> Life managed by Glenn, right? Life under my management. Life under my management is, is like saying, watch this. <laughs> and when I was little, when I, 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 they had this thing on, on Facebook and it said 10 things people may not know about you. And so I put the ten things people didn't know, but it, it was kind of like, watch this. And the, the first one was, when we were little kids, we, we had a big tree, and we would swing across the tree over the, over the fence and into our pool. And one day, my, my family was down there, and I got up there, and I'd go, hey, watch this. Tarzan on his toes, and I yelled, oh, and the tree, the freaking rope broke, and I went, bam! <laughs> Hit right, my busted my nuts right on that freaking wall, fell over like Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> Watch this, one time we accidentally robbed a house and got a gun. <clears throat> and I was 12 years old, and I'd never shot a gun, never handled a gun, and I was pulling the trigger. And and I accidentally hit the cliff and didn't know there was a cliff in and engaged the bullet. And the older guys that were with me said, hey, man, don't shoot that. There may be a bullet in there. And see, I had already been clipping it. There ain't no bullet. I go, there ain't no bullet in here. No, the guy goes, dude, dude. I go, no, I'm telling you, there's no bullet in there. He goes, dude, shoot it out the window. I went, Bam! <laughs> 
uh, I don't play with guns. <laughs> Anymore. Riding the skateboard up a hill. Getting pulled by a motorcycle. <laughs> Told my friends, watch this. <laughs> skateboard hit a rock. But I hung onto the motorcycle as the guy kept speeding up. I finally let go at 40 miles an hour. Ripped all the skin off my hands. So that is what life is like under Glenn's management. If you're new, paint a picture of your life, what it looks like. This is what life looks like under your management. If you lost your job, if you've lost your family, if you, right? You can't quit freaking drinking. Your parents won't talk to you. You're freaking out on the streets, whatever it is. That's the best your life's going to be under your management. Without alcoholism. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And the individual must decide for himself if he's an alcoholic. The problem is now, once we quit drinking, our basic problem is centered in our mind. Right? And once you, in reading this big book, if you decided you're at step three, the thing is, is when you take step three, and I'll, and I'll tell you the new guys, what, what happens is when you come in, they told me this about the great reality. It tells us where God's located, right here. And they said, they put it to me this way. Like they said, son, you got a conscience. You didn't put it there, and you can't dislodge it. It's a monitor. They call it a God conscience. And when you do good, you feel good. And when you don't do good, you have an automatic sausage grinder that says, oh, Glenn, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Rigorous self-honesty is learning to listen to the monitors right there. Your alcoholism is going to grow. Your solution, this thing must grow too. If you're new, the problem is you're filled up with a lot of things that can't let it grow. And I'll tell you what they are in a nutshell. One is we come in with an honesty problem. We have a mind that lies to us. If you're coming in, you have to get freaking honest. The, the honesty, before you even go any further, because you've got to get honest with another man. You've got to get honest about that fourth inventory that you did. Right? Honesty. And you come in here and we start sharing. We hear people share, they start sharing honestly. They're talking about things, when I was new, they talked about stuff that I had been keeping a secret. Sharing it honestly. Right? So I have an honesty problem, a dishonesty problem. Second thing is, and the second part of this is I have a selfish problem. I'm freaking selfish, self-centered. It's not that I think of too much of myself. It's not that I think of too little of myself. It's that I constantly think of myself. <laughs> and the book says self-will is the granddaddy. Actually, in the back of this, it's going to say that we hope God's removed any self-will. So a lot of these things, I mean, they're doing, it's either God's will or self's will. So this honesty, resentments, fear, that stuff is self's will. It's not God's will. So I got these freaking resentments right here. Coupled with freaking anger over here. Because I'm freaking mad at everybody. The resentments are is I never forgive nobody for nothing and I blame them. I blame my parents. I blame my wife for leaving me. I blame God and I blame myself. I had a lot of hate sitting in here. And on this side I had a lot of anger. Because I didn't know how that was my way to protect myself when I got afraid. And over here is I got a bunch of fear. But I've lived my life because self-reliance had failed me because I couldn't rely on myself no more. You see, and you come in here, and if you come in here and don't shrink these boxes, you don't get rid of these things and, make them, and work on making them go away, everything good you do just goes right about here. Right about here. And you wonder why the drink guy drinks again. All went well for a while. But he failed to enlarge in his spiritual life. You see, the things I do, even like, like honesty. I tell the guys that I sponsor, I say, look, first thing is, you have, your word needs to be good. So we developed this commitment sheet. There's a certain amount of meetings you're going to go to, a certain amount of book you're going to read. And it's called Outline the Program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Right? I give them an outline. Now, they're not committing to me. They're making a commitment to themselves. And the point is, if you break your word, right, it's important you need to start keeping your word because you do break your word on that commitment sheet to yourself. When it comes time to drink again, you'll break your word on that too. So it's very important that you establish your word early in sobriety, in my view. Right? And I have to find a way to get rid of these boxes so God could grow. Right? 
These are the things that block me. I'm going to call them God blockers. Right? That's what the fourth step's about. It's about removing the God, the things that block me, the things that give the curtain between me and that sunlight. Block me from God. And on page 60, it has the ABCs. Right? It says, uh, it says being convinced we're at step three. Okay? And the first requirement is that life run on self could hardly be a success. It's like I talked about. Now, if you go to page 62, which Phil told me is the most important page that I would ever read. And selfish self-centeredness, we think, is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, step on the toes of our fellows. They retaliate seemingly without provocation, but verily we find that sometime in my past, I made decisions based on me, which placed me in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are of our own making. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will. Run right. And above everything, we must get rid of this selfishness. And in my view, they're talking about self-will. It's not self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity. It's how am I going to turn my will over to God if I'm still doing it my way? Self's way. And the rest of this book, and it says I have to have God's help. And then it tells me how and why. It, actually, I probably in the, the page before that, you know, God is the power. It says there is one who has all power. That one is God. So if I didn't know it, God's the power. And that's the thing I don't that I lack. I need to be able to tap into the power that's here. Right? One of the things, if you're new, is... is in, and then this, this thing is that it says that some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas until we let go absolutely. And Phil put it to me this way. He said, son, you're going to have to get rid of every thought and every idea you've ever had before you got here. Right? And it says, let go, let God what? Now it comes to my next story with you guys that are new. Because <laughs> it ain't easy to let go. It ain't easy. What happens is when you guys get new, and one thing you don't know to deal with, because you've been drinking like I did. If you drink and use every single day, right, up until you got here, and then you take away the drugs and alcohol, man, I'm messed up. I, I altered my feelings up until I was 26 years old. And all of a sudden, when I came to AA, I was way freaking happy. I was never, one day I go, I, look at that, I'm never going to drink. AA works. <laughs> I don't know what the guy with four years is whining about. <laughs> For a guy that should be dead, he sure is bitching a lot. <laughs> well, it works. Just got to read the book. And we're happy, and all of a sudden fear sets in, right? Our girlfriend hurts our feelings. Oh, you start, you fly down the frickin' bottom, right? And you call your sponsor, dude, dude, um, I broke up with her. But now I can't get her back. I said, okay, calm down. Drink some water. <laughs> what happened? <clears throat> right? Okay, said, okay, here's what you do. Go to meetings, read the book. Next day, you feel better. What was I thinking? There's a new one. You go up. <laughs> right? And I get a new job, and we get good luck, and you get on top, and you go, it freaking works. I'll never drink again. <laughs> and then all of a sudden that thing kicks in. I want to drink. Oh, sponsor. Help. My wife found out about my girlfriend and she's not going to let me come home. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, drink some water. <laughs> And you guys that are new, we see you, man. You guys are just up and down. And we try to tell you not to do that shit. We, we know you ain't listening. Just, and we think, oh, we'll help them. But we've got to wait until they freaking come across because they're flying pretty fast. <laughs> There's a whole school, you little fuckers. And you're screaming, oh, oh. screaming and yelling. It works, it don't work. So as you come by, we shoot out, dude, you're down, help, motherfucker, help! <laughs> so me and Jimmy, we wait, dude, let go, let God, you're thinking, oh, fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> what kind of answer is that? 
got real problems. <laughs> and we have to let go and let God. I got to let go. And you know what's funny? In my, in my case, I took a look at all the places in the big book where it told me what I was going to let go of. We let bygones be bygones. We let God be the final judge. We let him demonstrate through us what he can do. Right? Let us think about the 24 hours ahead. And before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking. Let us be reassured. If we're sorry for what we have done and willing to let God take us to better things, we believe we're forgiven. If we're not sorry and our conduct continues to hurt others, and, and including hurting myself, we'll surely dream. Right? If there's something we can't let go, we pray for the willingness until it comes. And then we, we let God discipline us in the simple way we just outlined. So I've got to let go of my old ideas, and I let, let God start running my life. Right? And I've got to find a way to get rid of these boxes. And that's what the, you know, fault number one is that, is that honesty box. And I call them my faults because Big Book calls them my faults. And there's probably a lot more than the five I'm talking about, but they're pretty... And fault number two is my selfish box. Right? Fault number three... Now, I'll tell you, on the, the, the third step, right? So it tells me that I have to... It tells me that I'm selfish and self-centered. I have to have God's help, right? And then on page 63, we take the third step. And the funny thing, the most important thing I think about that third step, if I took a look at it, is that at the bottom it says we meet with God. We meet with God alone. But it's my first official meeting with God. Or as Don R. says, when you do the fourth and fifth step, you've got to learn to start talking to God. And the rest of these steps is going to tell me how to ask God's help to remove these things when they crop up. But I have to, if I'm not asking God's help, I'm asking my help. And they don't go away with my help. Right? So we, we, are, we have our first official meeting with God on page 63. Right? Page 64 says, Though our decision was a vital and crucial step, it would have little permanent effect in our decisions, the decision we made in step three, the decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. It will have little permanent effect unless at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and to be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us, blocking me from God. Liquor was but a symptom. I had to get down to causes and conditions. And this is, this is my next fault number three, is my, my resentments. It's this thing right here. It's the resentments. That I freaking hate freaking everybody. I hate freaking God. God wasn't helping me. And when the guys that I sponsor, I tell them, look, if I can't back up what I say with the big book Alcoholics Anonymous, don't listen to me, boys. And what it says is, and Buckley was pretty clear about stuff like that. He said, he said Glenn, I want you to make a list, and, and I want you to do exactly the way it says to do it, and don't offer any of your own advice. So it says, make a list. Pretty simple. Example, mad at God. I'm mad at, and, and, it, and if, you, if you don't know, this, is, this program is about restoring relationships. So try not to forget all the relationships in your life. So I got, I got God, I got myself, I got my wife, I got my children, I got my parents, I got the employer, I got the employee, I got friends, I got ex-girlfriends. I want to put all those things on my list because those are the things that, that I'm going to try and restore. It even gives me an example of how to do it. Right? And Mr. Brown, right, he paid attention to my guy's trying to freaking snake my wife. He's trying to steal my freaking job. Bottom line, motherfucker should die. <laughs> so, so here it says, we go back through our lives and nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. And that's why honesty is important to start getting honest. See what it says, you have to grasp and develop a manner of living. If you knew, grasp and develop means you ain't got it yet. A lot of guys say, I can't get sober because I can't get honest. I can't get honest. You ain't got it. You got to get honest about your drinking. 
you got to get honest about where you're going to go if you continue to drink, but the program will teach you how to grasp and develop a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. It demands it. And so, you make that list, and if you do it correctly, right, so you make a list of all the people, then you go back to number one, why are you mad at God? Why are you mad at yourself? That's easy. I failed. I failed in everything. I failed as a, in business. I failed as a husband. I failed as a father. I failed as a son. And I fucking hate myself. God let me down. He never freaking helped me. Everyone else gets sober. Right? I'm mad at my freaking wife. She wants child support. She won't let me see the kids. It's pretty easy. I'm mad at my... I, and funny is, we, we know all our resentments about our parents, our friends... Because we were never going to let it go. We're going to get it back. I'm going to get even. I'm going to get you. And we learn here is not to get them, but to try and rub out the record. Right? I need to try and rub out the record. And then it says deep resentment. Right? And I think that's, there's a difference between like upfront resentments and deep ones. Deep ones have been there for a while. They're deep-seated resentments. That's why my parents were probably right on the tops. Me. Resented myself for a long time. God, those were my deep ones. They were right top of my list because they'd been there for a while. Right? And to harbor such feelings cuts me off from the sunlight of the Spirit. It's a blocker. Right? And I have to look at that at a different <clears throat> angle. It caused me fault number four, which was, is my anger. Right? And funny thing is, is I need to master my resentments, but I need to learn to be free of my anger. So it gives me a course to take, right? When people that I'm angry at. This is our course. We realize people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Though we didn't like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us, them like ourselves were sick too. We ask God to show them the same patience, tolerance, kindness, and pity we cheerfully grant to sick friend. When the person offends us, we say, how can I help thee? God save me from being angry. It doesn't say God help me from getting angry. Because I think I can't stop from getting angry, but I don't stop me from being angry. We don't retaliate. We don't argue. If I do that, resentment comes. So I'm going to be free of anger. I don't get the resentment. I master those resentments. Right? If my wife was in the hospital dying of cancer, well, I'd be kind. I would overlook any nasty things she had to say in that bed. Because I would understand something was wrong with her. When I understand something's wrong with them, I can overlook what they're saying. You know, we're sensitive. My wife's got a problem, right? She's unhappy about something. What? What's something wrong with us? Why we take it personal? Especially, right? Huh? Or especially if you guys are, are, are uh, your wife's not really an alcoholic and, and you kind of destroyed your lives, you quit drinking. You go, don't see anything matter here. Get happy. I quit drinking. <laughs> it says the alcoholic, right? Does not drink, it's not enough. Or like the farmer who comes out of the cyclone cellar to see his home ruined and says, don't see anything matter here. You see, the guy comes out and it's freaking, I mean, the, he comes out of the cellar and the freaking, the orchard's freaking gone, the screen's off the freaking fence, the windows are blown up. He says, Hey! I quit drinking. Can I, can I come home, baby? Uh, no, Glenn, and we don't want to talk to you no more. The book says there is a long period of reconstruction ahead, but we must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that I'm sorry won't fill the bill. My actions will speak louder than anything I can say. And so I have to realize that something's wrong with them. And I created a lot of that wreckage in my home. And a lot of you guys, you get sober, your wife, is, maybe you're sober a couple months, and all of a sudden your wife starts acting up. Now she's being a bitch. You know what? Maybe she's walked on eggshells for a couple of years. And maybe she feels safe now. And maybe now it's time for her to be able to get up because she's been afraid. She's been angry. And she needs to get rid of that too. And that's why I need to overlook things that she says. Right? And this, this, I 
this anger. If you knew, gets you in a lot of trouble. I shouldn't tell this story. <laughs> okay, I can tell the story. Long time ago, I got 25 years, but when I had a couple years, I took this girl to uh, Santa Monica Pier. We were going to have lunch and go get a hotel room. And as we were having lunch, she and she was in the program. She had like eight or nine months. She goes, I can't believe you're cheating on your wife. I can't believe you're doing this with me. It hurt my feelings. <laughs> and I got mad, right? And I said, I told her, I don't have to sleep with you. Besides that, you ain't even got no tits. <laughs> she took the glass of water at the table and she threw it in my face and said, let's see what your wife thinks about that. I uh, had a moment of clarity. <laughs> Anger is not really a good thing. We get mad and we freaking react. We don't freaking think. And you're new. You got to watch that. You got to watch that freaking anger. Right? And it gives me a thing that says, God saved me from being angry. What's that mean? It means every time I get angry, I need to call on God. Every time. If I'm calling on God, save me from being angry. Save me from reacting. A lot of times I get angry, I do that. Then I call my sponsor. Hey, I fucked up. <laughs> I'm over here at 7-Eleven. <laughs> right? Because I reacted again. Bucky said, Glenn, you're a fantastic reporter. <laughs> Why don't you call me first next time before you react? You know, and it's tough. It's tough. And what happens is the first time you you first time they push your buttons and you don't react, it's a spiritual experience. I'll tell you mine. You see, I wasn't allowed to see my kids for three months. Or actually, it was my one baby when I got sober, Amy. And I was still paying child support. And one of the things Phil told me to do is he goes, you got to pay child support. And I thought, no way. There's no way I'm going to. She's not even letting me see the kid. There's no way I'm going to. He goes, no, yeah, you are. I said, no. <laughs> he says, son, you're going to start doing what's right. You're going to do what's right and let the chips go where they go. He says, you've been talking about God a lot. Now it's your time to trust him. So I paid that child support just against my better judgment. Right? After three months, she said she called me up and said, "You know what? You could come see Amy at Sunday at three o'clock. Come to my dad's house. We'll all be there." So I showed up at her house Sunday at about three fifteen. I knocked on the door. She opened up and said, uh, "I told you three o'clock. You're fifteen minutes late. We're leaving." I tell you what I thought. I thought, "I'll take that kid right now." I'll get my hands on her. I'll freaking take her right now. I'll run to the courthouse. I'll get custody of her. Right now. My kid too. What I said was, oh, before I went in that house, I prayed. I said, God, help me not to react because I know they're going to push my buttons. Save me. I know they're going to. Right? She said, you can't see her. I said, well, let me hold her while you put your jackets on. She said, okay. So I got to hold my daughter for five minutes. The end of five minutes, she said, okay, time's up. We got to go. I said, well, I'll put her in the car seat for you. I took a step out the door. She screamed, give her back. You didn't put her hood on. I thought, yeah. I'll take her right now. <laughs> I got my one foot out the door. What I did was I turned around, I kissed my daughter, and I thanked them for the five minutes. I got in my truck, I drove down the street, and then I said, like the tough guy I am, I'll take her right for you now! <laughs> She's mine too! <laughs> and all in that rage that we have, that boiling pot of water, all of a sudden I had a freaking tear, uh, uh, just a sight of joy, an overwhelming freaking joy, that for the first time in my life, they pushed my buttons and I did not react. And God matched calamity with serenity, and God saved me from being angry. And I learned at that point that no longer do you have the power 
to make me mad unless I let you. That I am in control of myself, that I don't have to freaking react, that I can understand something's wrong with them. What I don't tell them that story was they called me later that day and apologized to me for the way they treated me and said I can come now pick up Amy every Saturday. That is not my plan. My plan was to not give child support and fight. <coughs> As newcomers, try fighting. Okay? Though nothing ever seems to turn out my way, when I put it in God's hands, it always seems to turn out better. And these are growing experiences that we get coming along this program, right? And I learned about anger, and it's taken a long time to to be able to be free of it, to be able to bite my tongue, right? And and our next one is fear. Fear is a tough one. Fear, the book says, fear ought to be classed with stealing, it seems to cause more trouble, right? It does. Fear robs us, is what it does. And then it says here, it says, we reviewed our fears, and we asked ourselves why we had them. And wasn't it because self-reliance had failed us? Right? And I thought about it. See, I had trusted and relied upon myself my whole life. And I knew I couldn't trust me no more. I'd slipped for three years. I knew I couldn't trust my thinking. And it says we're on a new basis now, right? We're on the basis of trusting and relying upon God. You know, at uh, 60, 90 days, I had my spiritual awakening based on this page. I was in a meeting, feeling bad, talking to Phil, and here's what I said. I said, Phil, I mean, I feel horrible. I said, I lost my job, I crashed my truck, I sold my furniture. I said, these Mexicans still want to freaking shoot me for freaking stealing their coke. This is, uh, you know, I'm living on mom's couch. She won't let me see the kids. I get one day a week. And he gave me the words only a good old timer could. He said, Glenn, you didn't lose that stuff. You threw it away. He totally hurt my feelings. (laughs) He made me, and he he said, you knew better. And we told you so for three years. It gets worse, never better. If you're slipping, what you're saying is prove it gets worse. Prove I'll lose my family. Prove I'll lose my job. Okay. (laughs) Ass kicking coming. (laughs) But he made me become responsible at six months sober for what I had done. I did it. I did it. He said, this is the price you've got to pay for what you did, son. That's freaking ruthless. <laughs> I said, you mean this is the price I have to pay for being sick? <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> I have a disease. <laughs> I'm getting freaking punished. I actually loved that when I heard that. I'm freaking sick. I heard that I was not a bad person freaking here to get good. <laughs> that I was sick here to get well. I mean, I freaking actually really did like that. <laughs> because I looked in the mirror a lot of times and I would tell before I got sober I'd look at me and go what's wrong with you and what's wrong with you you freaking idiot what's wrong with you stupid then I got here and I thought oh you, you got an illness you're sick <laughs> it ain't your fault you're sick <laughs> Wait, why are you chasing them new girls I'm sick <laughs> I ain't here to get good <laughs> Bill heard me saying that in the meeting. He pulled me aside and he said, Son, let's get the facts straight. You're bad. <laughs> he goes, and I know you. You've done a lot of bad things. And you are here to get good. We live to good purpose. We act a good Samaritan. We fill our minds with good thoughts, good acts, good conduct. He didn't say that. I found it later. He said, stop calling yourself sick. Watch what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth stays in your heart. If you want to say anything about yourself, you say, you look in the mirror every morning, you say, every day and every way, I'm getting better and better. He said, son, I want you to think about it. I'm doing better than I was 20 days ago. I'm doing better than I was 40 days ago. I'm doing better than I was eight months ago because sometimes I woke up and did not feel better. I woke up with emotional hangovers from excessive negative thinking. He said, son, you've got to learn to change your thinking. There is a scale here. 
You can live at the bottom of the scale or you can live at the top of the scale. Let me tell you, your feelings will tell you if your thinking is correct. The bottom of the scale is worry. When I live in worry, well, worry, that's why I'm worried sick. Worry, worry, worry. Oh, fucking worried I'm going to lose something. Fear and worry. It's friend, fear. And when I get afraid and worried, then I get freaking angry. If I'm worried, afraid, and angry, I'm depressed. Right? And he says, what you have to do is you have to change your thinking. And the number one thing to want to make me feel good is gratitude. It's gratitude. Learning to live in a constant state of gratitude. He said, make a list. He said, make a gratitude list every day. And even at uh, even a couple last year, year before, I started making a gratitude list every day about the people in my family. You know, my son had a turtle. Freaking stump. <laughs> and nothing, nothing to do with my my kids. It's like when you it's like when you come home and you know the dog's gonna shit on the couch, right, Jeff? Jeff's driving in his car. And he knows that the dog's going to shit on the couch. He comes, God damn it! I knew that dog was going to shit on the couch. And Jeff called me, That fucking dog shit on the couch. <laughs> and I said, Jeff, for someone that should be dead, you should have freaking visited him. Yeah, I don't fucking love that puppy. So, I started making a gratitude list every morning to everybody in my family, my wife. And Stacy has a good job, and she's a good woman, and she's sober 24 years, and I love her. She has a great sense of humor. She loves playing softball. My son, my son's going to college. He works at selling pizza, right? He doesn't crash my cars. He doesn't get tickets, right? He works program. He's sponsoring kids. You know what I mean? And uh, what I was, what happens when you do that? When I seen my family, my kids, my daughter, and wife, all I seen was the good in them. I couldn't see the bad or the negative things that I was looking at before. They went away. Gratitude and a positive, being a positive thought is a hundred times stronger than a negative one. hundred times. Phil would put it to me this way. He said, son, this program is a hundred percent positive. There's nothing negative about it. One hundred percent. Even this inventory, there's something good about it. I would not stand up here and tell you that there's nothing good about doing this inventory. I hope, when, by the, I hope if you're new, by the time you're done, that you hear something I'd said and say, wow, you know what? I want to do that too. <coughs> See, the inventory is going to get rid of this freaking stuff that blocks you from feeling good. And it's going to teach you, if you're not practicing how to freaking remove your anger, and even in fear, it tells me trust God, right? And we do as we think, which is a form of meditation. We do as we think, like Jordan said, right? What, what would God say? We do as we think God would have us and humbly rely upon Him, right? And then at the, below that it says, we ask God to remove our fear. And it says we outgrow fear. But I have to ask God's help to remove my fear and not act on it been running on fear my whole freaking life afraid I'm going to get caught and when you live in dishonesty dishonestly if you're lying cheating stealing which people do which we'll talk about sober which is why people drink again right fear is a crippler in sobriety crippler so we got this this fear here and on page 69, which is the next one, is the sex inventory, right? Which is, brings me to my next story. I told one of the guys, I was, oh, I don't know, I have time. Anyway, this guy was told to read page 69 on the sex inventory. He got the thing written backwards. His girlfriend had broken up with him. His heart was broken. He had... Where is Tyler? Anyway, his girlfriend had broken up with him. <laughs> this guy was told to read page 69. He accidentally read page 96, and then this is what he read from his sponsor. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. <laughs> Search out another alcoholic and try again. <laughs> 
You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you got to offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a girl who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, she may soon find out she can't recover by herself. To spend too much time on one situation would deny many others of their opportunity. <laughs> One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. <laughs> and he said if he would have continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Anyway, if you're dyslexic, uh, <laughs> page 69 in the sex inventory. And Buckley always pointed out to me, he goes, son, I don't want to hear about the freaking sheep and the chickens and all that shit. He says, I want you to follow what the book says about relationships. And this is a, this is a key thing. It says, and, and it says we don't want to be the arbitrator of anyone else's sex conduct. You see, the only one I want to freaking judge is me. I ain't got time to judge anybody else. And I don't know what's right or wrong for you for this simple reason. There's many things that I could do when I was new that never bothered me. And I was talking to Jim about that. Many things didn't bother me. And they weren't a sin. They were perfectly okay. And then as I got sober, many things I was doing was bothering me. And the second they start bothering you, you got to quit it or they'll kill you. So I don't know. I can't. I don't know what's right or wrong for you. But I, I can. I can tell you. What, if you're doing this dishonest stuff, it never turns out well. Right. So it says, we reviewed our own conduct over the years. We seen where we've been selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Whom do we hurt? Where do we arouse jealousy, bitterness, suspicion? Right. Where were we at fault? What should we have done instead? Now. In the pages before, we have written down the people we're mad at, we've written down why we're mad at them. I skip the part where I disregard them entirely, and I tell these guys, I want you to go back to that list, and, and I want you to put you in there now. And what kind of man were you? What kind of father were you? Forget your kids. What kind of son were you? Right? What kind of employee were you? You're the one that has to change, not them. What kind of best friend were you? Right? What kind of brother were you? And I think this part, when you do this, this part to me is the missed part on a lot of people's view sometimes. It says, we got this on paper. What should we have done instead? Buckley pointed that out to me. He said, son, what you should have done instead who's you're going, is who you're going to try and be. Now I want you to make another list on what you should have done. The kind of man you should have been. The kind of son you should have been. The kind of father you should have been. Because what I should have been is who I'm going to try and be. Today I'm forward. Well, I should have been a good husband. I should have been loyal, faithful. I should give my wife time. I should spend time with her. I should be a good son. I should go to see my mom. I should take her to lunch. I should do those things, right? Because what I should have been is who I'm going to try and be. I think if I don't... That's great if you do the inventory, but you don't include what you're going to be in the future, to me, I think you're missing something. Because we all know we're fuck-ups and assholes. Right? I knew that before I wrote it. The hard part was sharing my dirty linen with somebody, right, and trusting another man. I did my inventory with Buckley, and he read it. And we, read it we did it together, and he said, son, I've done a lot of inventories, and yours is extremely honest. And you're going to go out from here and you're going to start practicing what you should have been. And they said things to me like, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It's what you do today on forward. We're going to teach you how to put your past in the past. We're going to teach you how to put your past in God's hands and be able to bring that past out to help somebody else. And this stuff helps me settle with my past. Right? Next page, page 70. 
Okay. Go back to page 60. It says on page 69 that we try to shape and sound, have a sane and sound idea for our future sex life. We subject each relation to the test, was it selfish or not, and we ask God to mold our ideas. And I think when I say I'm asking God to mold my ideas on what I should have been, what I'm going to be, those ideas, what kind of man should I have been? I thought when I first read that, well, my idea is to have a wife, three girlfriends, and I'm going to have God mold my ideas. No, that's not really what it's talking about. I'm going to mold my ideas on what I should have been. Now here's a good one on page 70 because it kind of gives a loophole because Bill might have been a cheater himself. So, <laughs> it says, suppose we fall short of a chosen idea. And we're talking about in sex and, and, and have a problem in sex relations and guys have come in here and, and can't stop pornography or can't stop, you know, whatever it is that your freaking problem is. Um, chasing girls, uh, freaking love parlors. I mean, I... Um, I I gotta tell you that story. <laughs> when I got caught cheating that one time with that girl, my wife thought I was a sex addict. So I told her that I would go to Sex Addicts Anonymous and look for a slipper. No, I told her I would go to Sex. So I went to this men's snag, Sex Addicts Anonymous. Never been there before. Didn't know what it was about. And the guys that started sharing, and one guy who had addicted to. Uh, strip clubs and the other guy was uh, addicted to pornography and another guy was a pedophile who had been put in the courts and another guy had molested his daughters and, guy, and by the time they got to me I went Jesus freaking Christ I'm freaking normal I just cheated on my wife I couldn't wait to get out of there and call Wendy and tell her hey man I found out I'm not a freaking sex addict <laughs> anyway it was, it was funny <laughs> it says this suppose we fall short of a chosen idea are we going to get drunk Okay. some people say we will this is a half truth it depends on us and our motives now what's that mean to me you see I cheated and I never drank again I lost my family I suffered the great torture why didn't I drink my other friends did the same things, and they freaking picked up a bottle. They couldn't endure the pain. Right? So it depends on us and our motives. I took it to the brink, and I had, I had, I had freaking seen the gorilla. That's why I never, I've, I've made a commitment 25 years ago to never freaking drink again. Because, and that reminds me of my last story with, with Scotty. You know, me and Scotty, Scotty befriended me when I got sober. I couldn't get sober, and, and somehow me and Scotty became good friends. And when I got sober, my truck was in the shop, and I couldn't, uh, because I had crashed it. And so Scotty, Scotty said, I have this blue car, and I'll sell it to you for $500, or I'll rent it to you for $5 a day. It was a piece of shit. I took the $5 a day, right? And I rented this car from Scott. And we became friends. And he would always ask me, Glenn, why do you keep slipping? Why don't you just say no? Why don't you just figure, you know, guys that have never chronically slipped, in my view, don't know what it's like to come to the program and want to be sober and can't. Maybe they did it out there, but it's a little different coming inside here day after day. And I said, Scotty, I understand one thing. You don't understand. You got it from the freaking get-go. You got it right out of prison or in prison. You came out here and you freaking started rolling. You never freaking got the gorilla. I said, I had the freaking gorilla. I drank against my will every 12 days. I did not want to do it. I begged for help. I went to meetings all the freaking time. And Scotty did the one thing. And I asked Scotty if I could tell the story. And he told me no problem. I, I, and Scotty did the one thing no man should ever do. at six, seven years. Picked up a drink. And he found himself as powerless or more powerless than me and Scotty couldn't get 12 days. He had lost his businesses. His wife had left him. He got this little apartment. They told me 
these guys are going to go do a 12-step calling Scotty. And he said, hey, man, you want to go? I said, well, what's he doing? He goes, well, I heard he's got like a briefcase full of freaking coke and shit. And he's, he's, he's like a ninja in the trees and stuff. I go, fuck, fuck, you're going to visit Scotty. <laughs> he's staying up for days, hiding in the freaking tree like a freaking ninja. <laughs> but if Scotty calls me, I'll go. <clears throat> but I ain't going to go. But it came a point when, when, when Scotty gave up and, and shot himself in the head. Bull came in here, came out to Tom. And I think at that point he was really, and found himself back in prison, right? And uh, because he was a felon with a firearm. They said, that's great that you've saved yourself. Now you're getting 25 to life with a felon with a firearm. So somehow he finagled his way out of, out of jail, like we always do, and he was still kicking sober. And I started meeting Scotty at meetings or picking him up to go to meetings, and we couldn't go down. We were in Palmdale. We couldn't go down freaking Palmdale Boulevard. We couldn't go down Sierra Highway because of the hookers. We couldn't go down all these triggers Scotty had. <laughs> sitting in this freaking meeting. We only could go like to the meeting and to the gym, the jacuzzi, and then I took him home and he had to go down. But anyway, he had this freaking thing around his head, this big freaking turban. And you couldn't touch it. If you freaking touch oh, you freaking hurt him. <laughs> and I looked at Scotty at this meeting, man, and he had this big freaking turban. And I looked at him, and I went, dude, you know, you know. He goes, know what? I go, you know the gorilla. <laughs> now you know. Now you know. Uh, it was funny at the time. <laughs> So, in this, in this four-step, when you take it, those are the things, in my view, that you need to work on that block it from God. The next step is step five, where you're gonna, where you're gonna take it to somebody, right? You're gonna take it to somebody. And in the beginning, it says we're trying to get a new attitude and new relationship with our Creator. These two steps are designed to teach you to develop a relationship with God, not a sponsor. Most people, when they talk about that inventory, they talk about taking it to their sponsor. It says we admit to God, to, another, to ourselves and to another man. That's great, but I have to start admitting when I'm angry to God. I've got to start admitting when I'm afraid to God. I've got to start admitting, right, when I'm jealous, when I've got these problems, I start having to take these things to God. As Don R would say, you've got to start talking to God. Right? Because here's the deal. You're either going to be turning towards God or turn away from Him. They call it here, you're either going away from a drink or you're going towards one. But I think it's the same thing. I'm doing things to turn towards God or I'm doing things to turn away from Him. Self is running it. And it has in here on page 73, and it talks about the guy that, to me, the guy that drank again. Right? Having preserved with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think that the reason is they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst stocks and items. They hung on to their anger. They didn't ask God to help them remove it. They hung on to their freaking resentments. They hung on to the dishonesty and still cheated in business. They hung on to the things that blocked them from God. And they wonder why they drank. It says there that most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. And that could include the guy in the program. Right? You're sober now, four, five, six years, but you're still freaking living a dishonest life. Now you're living a double life and you're freaking acting like you're Mr. AA. I'm sponsoring guys, I'm good. But inside you know you're not. You know you're not. You don't deserve it. And it causes for stress and tension. So if you see a guy four, five, six years and he's going like this, <laughs> you know that guy's fucked up. <laughs> and so I think that this happens to all of us. It happens to all of us, in my view, at three, four, five, six, one to ten, whatever it is, whatever your deal is, that you get dirtied up again. You lie a little, cheat a little. <coughs> Still little. And you didn't drink. And you find yourself blocked off again from God. And so and that's why you hear Ted say many times, 
you don't have to drink to start over. But certainly everybody here, in my view, one time or another, maybe more than once, has to start over because we have to surrender after surrender after surrender. Is my time up? I'll close with this. I never read no big books. I don't have a high education. I've got a high school education. But I know this. When I do these simple things, I feel clean inside. When I do these simple things I just talked about, I feel clean inside, which is the emphasis of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I hope I persuaded you to do the same. Thanks.